Woo woo. Welcome to Bible Theory, homie. Taking the church to the streets, homie. All right. Thank you so much for joining another episode of Bible Theory. This is the Chicano Knox. Go ahead and hit the like button below and subscribe if you have not already. All right. Well, with this one, you know what it is. We're studying missions. We're doing a little survey, a little drive-through survey of missiology and, and AKA the Missio Day. And with this one, we're going to be talking about the Reformation. We're going to be talking about the Great Commission and the correlation between them and how the Reformation changed the whole game when it came to conversion. When it comes to the Great Commission, when, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to missions in general. So with that, mm. hopefully you stay tuned for the whole thing because it's, it's going to be a banger. All right. So with that, you know, I got I got my friend Scott Dunford. Scott, why don't you introduce yourself for those who don't know you, uh, maybe listening to you for the first time? Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, I wish I had a cool nickname like, you know, Caucasian Calvin or something. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm Scott Dunford. I'm a pastor in uh, Fremont, California, which is in the Bay Area. I've been out here for about four years. Uh, it's a mission field in and of itself. Um, just a very rapidly changing part of American culture. Uh, a lot of uh, Hindus, a lot of Muslims. Muslims, as well as just a lot of, of Caucasians and Hispanics and African-Americans that have just kind of forgotten about the gospel and uh, and are just open to, to hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. So I feel real privileged to be here. I'm a part of a larger movement uh, called the Basie Collective of seeing churches planted and revitalized in the Bay Area. Uh, previous to that, uh, I was a pastor, a missionary. I served with a mission agency called ABWE, Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. So I feel you know especially honored that a, a Presbyterian would, con would condescend to having a Baptist on his show. So thank you so much for that. Um, and uh, I think the reason, you know, you're familiar with with my work is because of uh, a podcast that I co-host. We've been doing it for about six years called the Missions Podcast. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. And certainly I, adding to that, I was a missionary myself. So uh, I was a missionary in Western uh, China working with uh, the Uyghur people for a number of years. And so that that's my heart and my passion and why I care so much about these topics. Amen, man. Well, I'm so glad you're on here, man. Listen, there's a lot of interesting things you already said that I'm really interested in. Um, <laughs> first of all, San Francisco. San Francisco? Yes. You know, me and my family did take a family vacation out there recently. Um, well, not recently, like a couple years ago, several years ago. Vacation, vacation, not operation. And dude, the sourdough factory is amazing. Yes, it is. Oh, Where you can smell that the sourdough from like down the street. We went in there, get some uh, clam chowder and a sourdough bread that looks like a teddy bear. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> no, there's, a, you know, people, people trash on San Francisco. I think it's a popular thing to do, but it's still, I think, one of the greatest cities in the country and uh, certainly very beautiful. It's very lost. No question about it. But I think this, this area is a great, it's, you know, the Bay Area is considered the least, the least churched uh, part of America. And uh, so I think what better place for Christians to be. But it's also naturally beautiful and amazing, uh, uh, amazing melting pot of cultures and just a, a way that, you know, I think uh, it just, just makes it a beautiful place to be. What what makes it attractive for missionaries, for church planters, other than the fact that there's there's tons to do in terms for the Lord? Yeah, I mean, you know, in some ways. There's similarities of places like Denver or, you know, Manhattan, New York City. It's the the heart of the tech world. So, you know, what what New York City used to be, what Athens used to be, I think that's what San Francisco and the Bay Area is today. Um, ideas are being formed. It's where things that are happening in the Bay Area are reaching out to the rest of the world, whether that be dealing with issues like the metaverse, uh, dealing with issues like social media. All the big social media companies are based here. And, yeah. uh, it, and it's but it's also a place because of that and because of its long history as a trading place. Close. I mean, like the first Indians in America came to the Bay Area. Um, now it's the home to the largest population of, of South Indians in the world. So a huge number of, of Hindus. Um, but it's also a place, you know, where we've had, you know, Chinese immigration for many, many years. Of course, Hispanic Americans, you know, were, were some of the first non-native non peoples to be here in the Bay Area. And it's just this this beautiful place of culture where it seems like people get along for the most part. Uh, there's a lot of understanding, but also a lot of lostness, too. And, um, you know, people are very quick to develop their own way of thinking about almost everything and uh, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. And so I think it's a, 
you know, it's a beautiful place as far as just diversity goes, but it's also a challenging place in that you have super intelligent people, you have super rich people. Uh, you also have very poor people that are very busy trying to just make it, you know, stay, keep their nose above water. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of that, you know, trying to create a space for people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to learn what it is God's intention for them and what, what humanity is supposed to be. And I think it's a just a uniquely challenging and beautiful place. I mean, in my church services, you know, I don't think we're particularly diverse. It's like not like we've set out to be like this, this uh, you know, uniquely diverse place, uh, although obviously we want that. But, you know, on any given Sunday, I mean, I'll have people from 15 to 20 nations sitting in our in our small church. And uh, it's just wow. because that's just the way it is here, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, so it, I, I think that's a beautiful place to do ministry. Yeah, it's one of the most beautiful uh, cities that I went to. A lot of touristic, to touristicy areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the bridge. You got Chinatown. Um, you know what I mean. You got all kinds of. You oh, got yeah. the redwoods and like uh, Yosemite oh. and except yes. Oakland. I went. I, I went through Oakland. Oakland. Much love to you, Oakland. But I went through Oakland and I was like, you know what? Eh. yes oakland is yet to be gentrified so (laughs) yes it's it's still it's still a little bit rough in oakland in oakland but there's some good work going on there too Uh, missions in china yeah Mm -hmm. it's quite a shift to talk about san francisco and then you know china i did do a show on uh with an author who wrote a book on the walking dead Hmm. in china she's like a reporter and you know so I'll go ahead and link that in, um, in below. How was it like to to be in China, to to you know be in the far western parts and the culture? You got the different elements of government, and you got all kinds of different you know vibes. Yeah. yeah. So just yeah. walk us through that. What what was that like? I mean, it was disorienting at times, uh, very challenging, um, rewarding at the same time. So I, I just you know. The church in China has grown dramatically over the last 50 to 100 years. I mean, you know, when when Hudson Taylor was a missionary in, in China, there was basically no Christians in China. Right. Um, today, there's some estimates that there might be even 100 million Christians in China. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the, the hot. And if you think about it in terms of like people groups, the majority of Chinese people are part of what's called the Han people groups. So when you think of Chinese, you tend to think of Han Chinese people. Um, and that's where the majority of the of the Christian growth, the Christian growth has been with that, with, within that people group. But you also have these minority peoples all over ch- around China. Some of them are very famous, you know, like everyone has heard of Tibetans. Everyone's heard of Mongols. Uh, there's actually more Mongols living in Mongol, er, living in China than there are living in Mongolia, the country. Hmm, um, you have, and you have, you know, little tribal peoples uh, in the mountains. But some of these people groups, you know, have millions and millions of people like the Uyghur people, you know, are somewhere between six and 12 million people, which is larger than most countries in Europe. Um, and and the Uyghurs, right. particularly, um, they've been in the news quite a bit lately because of in pretty intense persecution, very similar to what's happened in Tibet, um, where they've been rounded up, put in concentration camps, gone through re-education. You know, maybe up to a million Uyghurs have been put into these camps. So it's a very serious thing. And, and, and the difference between and culturally and linguistically between a Han Chinese person and a Uyghur Muslim person, which are Turkic in, in, in race and in uh, culture, uh, they have their own language. And, and they just couldn't be any more different culturally, you know, so wow. you know, the Ch- Chinese are, you know, maybe careful not to be stereotypical, you know, but m- more reserved, you know, their, their, their culture is, is, is not as a warm of a culture, you know, mm-hmm. warm and cold cultures, more of a cold culture, uh, f- you know, family oriented, but not as, not as connected to the broader uh, family, so to speak. Whereas, you know, having grown up, I grew up in Wisconsin, but strangely enough, it might be a surprise to you that most of my friends growing up were Mexicans. So I was around Hispanic culture a lot. And, we everywhere, uh, man. We everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, I, I always thought of when I was working with Uyghur people, how similar they were to Hispanic people. And actually, I've heard that a lot. Like a lot of very effective missionaries to the, the Muslim world are coming from Hispanic countries um, because culturally they're, you know, it's a, it's a warm culture, you you know, um, very, uh, very intense, you know, in their in their communication and, uh, you know, they're quick to love, quick to fight. And that's just the way the Uyghurs are. And mm-hmm. so seeing the differences between the cultures, but then trying to motivate and encourage and mobilize the Chinese church to develop a heart for a people group that they've kind of been at war with for many, many years. And, mm-hmm. they, and they couldn't be more different culturally. And there's even, you know, just uh, national 
challenges between them as, you know, the Han have a certain vision for what they'd like to see China become. And, and the Uyghurs feel like they're being pushed off of their lands. And, you know, there's a total difference of way they view history. Uh, so it was a very interesting time to be there. Um, certainly things have continued to change since we left. I, certainly, the, I love both people groups. Um, I want both of them to come to know Jesus Christ. And uh, with the Muslims, though, particularly, I mean, they're very sweet, very nice people, uh, easy to become friends with them, uh, very open to talking about spiritual things. But um, Islam has a strong grip on their hearts. And there's also, I think, because they're under some political persecution, I think in those situations, when that when that happens, people tend to entrench into mm. their norms. And I mean, I remember having conversations with some of my Uyghur friends and, you know, they're saying, like, I, I understand what you're saying about the gospel. I hear what you're saying about Jesus Christ. It's very compelling. I want to believe it. But to become a Christian means I'd have to betray my people. And I just can't do that right now. Mm. And so, you know, that makes an, an, another level of challenge wow. in calling people to follow Christ is that you know, there's a sense of like feeling like I would be betraying a whole, my whole people to follow Jesus that way. So it was a wonderful time. I learned a lot. I'm still, I think using those things as part of what drew me to the Bay area. Lots of Muslims. Yeah. We have Fremont here is the home with the largest population of Afghans outside of Afghanistan. Wow. And so um, you know, we have an Afghan uh, community of Christians that meet in our church and uh, that we're working with. And so some of the things that I've done and learned with, with working with Uyghur people, carry well over into working with Afghans as well. So, um, and there's, there's a huge Chinese population, as you saw, there's a whole China, huge Chinatown, yeah. lots of Chinese people here in the Bay Area. So in yeah. fact, some of the biggest churches in the Bay Area are Chinese churches. Chinese, so, yeah. That yeah. doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing, man. All right. Yeah, well, that really you. goes into, uh, you know, our grand topic of everything you just described is the Great Commission. It's not yeah. just, you know, evangelism. It's not just ordinary passing out tracts. Maybe you do. You have done that, right? In those sure. areas. But the Great Commission is a little bit larger yeah. in scope. So maybe mm -hmm. if you can just give us a summary of what is the Great Commission Mm -hmm. overall for 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 the Christian. Well, you've already talked about in the intro about the Missio Dei, right? And that's the idea of like God's mission on earth, which is to redeem a people for himself and um, to establish his worship and glory throughout the world, but also since the fall to re to redeem and reconcile man uh, back with God and does that through the person of Jesus Christ and how that's what that's God's mission that he's calling us into. The Great Commission is the ending of Jesus's ministry on earth. And, you know, probably each of the Gospels in some ways talk about this. But Matthew chapter 28 is probably the most classic text uh, where Jesus, as he's ready to ascend into heaven, calls his followers around him and says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. And so th this is what's classically called the Great Commission. We as Christians, we embrace it as this is Christ's plan for the world um, to, to call uh, people who were not part of the people of Israel, um, that were not part of, of Abraham's natural family. Right. And, uh, and create a new people, not connected by bloodlines, but connected by faith in Jesus Christ. So in the how does that happen? You know, and you see that you see the different elements about that, you know, the authority of Christ going forward. Um, but the idea of, of disciple making, of teaching and of baptizing, connecting them to the body of Christ, obedience. Um, and there's a, there is definitely an aspect of outward momentum of take mm -hmm. this message, not just within your little family group or within your little racial context, but push mm -hmm. it to the ends of the earth. And so mm -hmm. the book of Acts is the beginning of that story, right, where mm -hmm. Holy Spirit comes down in power at Pentecost and the gospel begins going out, not just to Jerusalem, not just in Samaria, and it starts moving towards the end of the earth. Is it possible that China can overcome that communistic stuff and get overran by Christians in, in terms of population-wise? <laughs> How powerful is the Lord? I mean, come on, man. You know the answer to this question, right? Uh, yes. I, 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 here's, the, here's the truth, right? right? Think about your ancestors and my ancestors uh, hundreds of years ago. You know, I mean, were there, were there, I mean, I'm, you can see by my face, you know, I, I'm not Hispanic. Um, <laughs> my, my, my ancestry comes from uh, Germany, France, England, and you go back before the gospel came to those places. And my mm. ancestors were some of the most brutal people on the face of the earth. Yeah. You know? The Vikings, I mean, <laughs> Anglo-Saxons, they, they were terrible. You know, <laughs> they were, they were sacrificing, you know, humans uh, to appease the, Crazy, to appease yeah. the gods, you know? Yep. And uh, if we were to go back to either of our 
backgrounds before the gospel comes, there's no hope. You know, it's Too a scary. dark, dark <laughs> and deadly place to be born into. Yeah. And so and look and look what's happened. You know, as the gospel spread, it, it changes everything. And uh, so uh, I don't know if you listen to our show very much, but we interviewed a guy named Glenn Scrivener and he has a book out called The Air We Breathe. And he talks about how the gospel changed everything about the way mm-hmm. culture is viewed, not just in the West, but really around the world. And uh, that is due a large part to the you know, the, the, the influence of the gospel, not just obviously the most important thing is the changing of hearts and lives and make disciples of Jesus Christ, but that has cultural consequences and, uh, has changed Mm. the way we view justice and love and liberty and all of those kind of things. Even lost people, even people who reject Jesus have been transformed by this concept of what Christ has come to do. Do you preaching, bro? You're preaching. (laughs) I'm a preacher. That's what I do. Yeah, you're right. I need to start. I need to get back into my professorial tone. I'm sorry. (laughs) no you're fine man no what you're talking about is getting me amped up because now you're now you're like implying a change of the world you know and there's a lot of people who i think they have not really thought about the implications of the great commission right because what you're really doing is your god is sending real people into a real real not real real world and that that does get messy at times and it's almost impossible to not get your hands dirty you know what i mean it's almost impossible to like do the great commission without encountering you know the physical culture you know whether that be political socioeconomic you know religious you know whatever right you know and, and there's some people out there in christianity that preach the great commission and i think they mean well right but they only say spiritual here spiritual spiritual pa, 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 spiritual piety piety spiritual and then they they slice and dice and then they divide it up and then then over here is the secular 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 physical the world powers that yeah. has not yet yeah, that doesn't get changed it's all about this group and it's like it causes a, a dichotomy yeah and it's like wait a minute the great commission like respects both powers that be but like it changes all of it right and you know I don't want to get into like all the controversy. I don't even know if you and I agree on any of this stuff. You probably, we may not, you know, uh, and certainly a Baptist vision and a Presbyterian vision would, could likely look very different for what that would accomplish. But, at, but I look at even, um, cr- there's a guy named Kreider. He's got a book called a patient ferment and it's the, the history of the early church and how the influence they made in transforming the culture of, of Rome. It's helpful because I think that is, we can all agree on this. Like when someone comes under the salvation of Jesus Christ and they began to change, it's going to influence the world they live in, right? So if my family goes from being a lost family to a Christian family, and now I start treating my wife differently, I raise my children differently, my block is going to be incrementally changed just by our family being followers of Jesus Christ. All snaps, you said block. <laughs> I, I live in a cul-de-sac, so I guess I, but my cul-de-sac will it's be fine, different. It's fine. I like it. I like it. Uh, Right. And, and how will my school, how will my kids school be different because they're Christians if they go to right. you know a school? Um, how will, how will my, how, how will my interactions at the hardware store be different because I'm there? And so the right. more people following Jesus you have in a place, there's mm-hmm. good, even if you're not starting out with that intention of like, we're going to take over the government. Uh, if you start right. out with the intention of we're just going to live Jesus lives right. and be citizens as Christians, as it goes forward, it changes everything. So um, I think no. that's where you do see like in acts, like they didn't go out to say like, we're going to become the president of Italy. They didn't have a right. concept of that, but they right. went out witnessing and right. over, over time, everything changed. Paul wanted to preach to Caesar. And sure. you know, according yeah. to historians, the 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 myth or you know the legend goes to say that maybe he did preach and had a private audience with Nero or somebody, mm-hmm. and he he wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to like, nah, I'm gonna buy time. I'm gonna do this and do that. Take advantage of the system and my citizenship, and then I, my goal is to go all the way to Rome and preach to Caesar himself. It's sure. like, you know, a lot of church historians like to point that out uh, on the down low, but it's like Paul went to go preach to the king of the world, you know, like the president kind of thing. That's, yeah. that's pretty. 
pretty, if you had a chance to stand with man. Joe Biden or Donald Trump, you would do it, right? I would do it. Uh, yeah, you yeah. Don't, it doesn't matter who you vote for. You want them to know God, you know, like right, you right. reconcile the Christ for his ambassadors. Ambassadors go to all sorts of places. We should go right. to those places. So, yeah. So anyway, that's that's not talking about our topic, but uh, right, we, right. we are talking about stuff. No, no, you're right. And people should uh, pay attention to those things because, you know, it touches it touches those things. Let's look at the the storyline here because yeah. it feels like there's a story going on here. Yeah. Where Jesus sends this these 12 dudes, ordinary dudes, and then here comes Paul, probably like one of the smartest guys in that group. And then they go out, they disperse, right? And then they right. boom, change the world, and then boom, they all get martyred or John lives yeah. to 99 years old or whatever. And then boom, there goes the apostles. And then here comes a new generation of Christians. Right. All right. And then the second generation and a third generation. So it's like like what you said. Eventually, England got changed. Eventually, Scotland right. got changed. Eventually, all these places got changed. Right. right. So what was the mission-minded aspect for the early church then? Was it just like, we just need to go until until Jesus comes back or yeah. I until mean, everybody gets baptized? Well, what was the goal? What was the, the mindset then? I, I mean, you see it hinted at in, in Romans chapter 15, right, where Paul's saying, this is my ambition to preach the gospel, you know, to play, to not build on someone else's foundation, but to preach the gospel, you know, take the gospel where it hasn't gone before, to basically push the boundaries of the gospel. We see that in the lives of the apostles. Um, there's good evidence that Ma that Thomas took the gospel all the way to India. There's there's the Thomas church that, that is still there in India where they, you know, it's a Catholic church today, but they view themselves as descendants of the, that the apostles, right? Sure, you have, sure. you have the Ethiopians, uh, the Ethiopian yeah. unit comes back and, you know, the Ethiopian Orthodox church, you know, is, is traces its, its lineage all the way there. So, so what happens, you know, I mean, this is where I'm sure different, different historians have different opinions, but I, you know, I think you, you do see the gospel growing and spreading and an impulse to do that. You see the sending of, of missionaries to Scandinavia, to, to the known world that they had on the, in the West, even to, to England. Um, but then you also had it spreading in the East. We don't hear about that mm. as much, but, um, uh, there was Christian tribes in Arabia at the time of Muhammad. Um, some of his mm -hmm. wives were Christian. Um, the gospel was spreading into Iran and then from Iran, the Syriac church, there's a place in China where we visited that, um, from 635 AD, that was a Syriac Christian church in in, in China and you can see wow. uh, the evidence of that there's you know during the Tang dynasty they you know they had tried to to uh, take the gospel there and for a while it seemed to kind of flourish um, and I'll, I want to get into reasons why it didn't in a little bit so there was a spreading of the gospel that clearly mm -hmm. the early church had I mean you mm -hmm. have some things I think that, that diluted it I mean I think you have the the merging of church and state you know at the time of Constantine you know you have the, the Roman Empire emperors just sprinkling water on on, on mm. people and calling them Christian, but not being right. converted, right? And so right. over time, the you know even even in the early church fathers, and I'm not a historian, but I just I'm fascinated by this stuff. Sure, you know you've got you know you've got uh, the Cappadocian fathers you know, like Basil and Basil, Gregory, Gregory and yep. Nazianus. Not, yep. These guys are, these guys are even talking about at that time, like the, the brokering of power and people paying off people to get certain church jobs. And so some of the corruption we see in the church today, yeah. they had it then too. And mm. it, as, as the politics and Christianity got mixed, it just didn't produce good children. And mm. uh, so you have faithful people, you have gospel spread. I think you have pockets of faithful proclamation, but it's mixed with error. And mm. uh, so, the time you get to the 1500s, you know, the popes are really corrupt. Um, there's the rising of nation states. Um, the printing press is changing things. So you have the kind of this, this, uh, this soup that's just ready for something to change. Yeah. Um, boiling. It's boiling. Yeah. It's yeah, boiling yeah. politically. It's boiling uh, with what's happening on the fringes of, of Christendom, so to speak, you know, with the rise yeah. of the Turks and, and the ending of the Mongolian empire and, you know, the breakdown of this, the world that they knew with the breakdown of the Roman empire and the fracturing of all that. And so the time was right for something to change and happen. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know what? This weird thought just popped into, into my head about China. Yeah. Is it true that China was founded by Noah? Because that's what they teach. 
I read I, I I read this one history book and it was saying that supposedly Noah founded China. I was like, I, what in the world? That's <laughs> not yeah. I I don't know if I would take a whole lot of credence <laughs> with that. I mean, there are some unique things, you know, in the Chinese yeah. uh, writing, but yeah. you know, depending on who you talk to, it gets more or less credence. Yeah, um, because it comes from Chinese sources. The, yeah. Some of the historians. I, I would like, say it's debate. I would I would say that's highly debated. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they, not they, debated, but highly doubtful. But but maybe but po- I don't know about Noah. I mean, no, it's a long way for Noah to go. You know, I mean, I've been to villages. There's a village in China called Banpo. You can read it. B A N P O. I think is how you would spell it in English. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, you know, there's the most ancient village in in China. It's an archaeological site. It, mm. The date is right around the time of Abraham so very wow. early and wow. uh it was interesting as we were walking around that place you know that you read the little signs and everyone was buried uh with their head pointing to the west and they, and they just had a little line like is this where these people migrated from is this is there some ancient cultural memory that make the point back to their homeland and you're like well you know like uh <laughs> if if the gospel account or the Bible account is true. And I certainly believe it is that we all descended from Noah. Certainly the descent, the descendants of Noah would have traveled from, uh, from the middle East and yeah. ended up all over the world. So Interesting. I, certainly that could be true, but yeah. you know, to say that, that Noah founded it, I have a hard time seeing how that could yeah. be. That's pretty well, bold. That, that, it's all speculation, right? That's pretty bold that they claimed that I was like, dang. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, people claim so a lot the of reformation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the Reformation comes about. Yes. You know, 1517, uh, the famous, uh, you know, 95 theses of Martin Luther sets everybody ablaze. Yeah. And then and then it gets going and then something happens. So for those who don't know, why don't you just let us know what what was the what was the Reformation about? What what was it? And, you know, what made it different and what made it stick? Should I say? Yeah. Right. I mean, there's certainly there's better, probably better guests to talk to about that, the details of that. I'm not a church historian. I'm just, I'm just a nerd that likes this kind of stuff <laughs> like fine, you do, man, you know. Um, if, if Joe Beaky emails me, man, I'm going to let you know about this plane. If he, if he emails you, uh, one, thank him for listening, but two, take what he says and just discard what I said because he's a greater scholar than I am by far. But, um, you know, a few things are happening. It's it, 1517 is the date we kind of pick because that's when Martin Luther kind of makes a statement. Right. But things were already happening. The the rise of nation states that we see, the breakup of the Roman Empire. There's some other things that are starting to happen, too. Um, Mm. There's a a reclamation of learning. So, you know, the Renaissance that we talk about, there's there's an interest in the humanities. So there's an interest in languages. There's interest in in writing. And so that things are starting to change in lots of ways. Right. Like the, the 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 wars that had been Pre, that had created kind of the the dark ages, so to speak, are kind of receding. There's more yeah. time for people to think and to start expressing those things, and uh, so that's happening. And and already, you know, in the late 1300s, you know, there's there's this predecessor to the protestant reformation called john wycliffe and he's Mm -hmm. translating the bible into english right so he's kind of breaking away from latin so you know think about it you know most people aren't speaking latin at that time in in christendom and yet their whole church service is in a language they do not understand and so Mm. starting to see the bible being translated into the common languages of the people causes people to understand what's being read and ask different kinds of questions so there's this movement that comes out of uh out of uh, wycliffe's movement called lollardism which was kind of a derived term, but you have these untrained gospel bearers going out into the area, telling people about Jesus and, and challenging the authority yeah. of Rome, um, which is pretty awesome, right? Yeah. Some of the some of the early doctrines like soul scripture are coming out of this time. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's not a, something new in Christendom. It's a reclamation. That's why we call it the Reformation, right? It's reforming what was had gotten gotten away from what Christians have always taught and believed. By the time you get into and there's another guy named Erasmus, he's not mm-hmm. a Christian probably a Catholic humanist scholar, but he's he's doing right. work with the Greek language, right? And starting to put together the Greek documents and saying, this is the background behind Latin. And people are starting to really study this stuff for the first time, not for the first time, but reclaiming an interest in it. Yeah. By the time we get to, to Martin Luther and John Calvin, these guys weren't trying to start a new church. 
They were trying to be faithful Christians. They they did not see Catholicism as different than Christianity. They were saying, hey, the ch- but the church should line up with God's word. And so as they study God's word, you know, especially Luther studying Romans in really a desperate situation, come under deep conviction about the gospel and about mm-hmm. how his works cannot save him and how it, we can be only be saved through faith. And so as he's starting to think through these things, he starts questioning the practices he's seeing, particularly as he's there in Wittenberg, Germany. You know, they're building this huge cathedral in the Vatican and St. St. Peter's Cathedral. And to, to do this, they're selling indulgences, uh, which are like get out of jail free cards. So yeah. you've got these That's sweet, funny. innocent, you know, grandmas and grandpas going like, I don't want to spend time in purgatory. And I also want to build this church. And so, you know, you got these guys going, hey, give us money yeah. and we will, uh, you know, we'll we'll give you a get out of jail free car so you don't have to spend so much time in purgatory. Or, you know, they come to a, you know, a young grandson and who's thinking about his sweet grandma burning in purgatory and saying, I want to get her out sooner. So they start putting all their money to this and Luther's just grieved by it. And so he puts these 95 theses of questions to the Pope to say, please address these things. Of course, this leads to him getting tried for heresy charges, a whole bunch of back and forth uh, mm. writings. But it really comes out with, you know, what what ends up becoming a full full blown reformation with um, with people taking seriously again uh, what is the gospel what are the core parts of the gospel and of course as you know and I'm sure you've talked about in this show before kind of the five solas that kind of describe hey this is the core heart of the Christian message um, not obviously not exclusive not just those things but but kind of encapsulating the heart of you know hey it's scripture. Scripture alone is what we base our faith on through Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, glory of God alone. You know, those things that form the core of Protestant Christianity. Was the Reformation a missionary movement in general? Yeah. I mean, in some ways it was not. And that's an oversimplification, but there was a lot going on at that time. I mean, it wasn't even easy for, for Protestant Christians to travel because there was war, you know, like when, mm-hmm. when uh, these little kingdoms uh, in, you know, the, the, these fractured little kingdoms within Europe start becoming, Hey, like we're, we're with Luther or we're with the Pope or we're with Calvin or we're with the Pope, like war broke out. And so mm-hmm. it was not easy to travel. Um, and uh, it was dangerous and people like, you know, how, how is Luther going to create a missionary movement when he's, running around from castle to castle trying to keep his head you know on his shoulders <laughs> but, but but what but what does happen there is a couple things like one obviously the the reclamation of conversion and the need for conversion. And you see this in Luther and Calvin's writings. You know, like I was just today even in preparation here, just looking through some of my, com- you know, Calvin's commentaries, which really his sermons on topics and just right. like his gospel heart to see people saved and converted and baptized added to the church just comes through. You know, it's yeah. passionate. Um, Luther, we, you know, and I, Luther's a, just a kind of a weird dude. Uh, <laughs> awesome and weird, right? And, and there's yeah, things that just weird. don't, that don't make sense in Luther's life, but but you know he's he's concerned about the Turks. He wants someone to take the gospel to the Turks on the edge of of the the empire. You know uh, he's concerned, um, even though you know there's times when he he writes things that are very anti-Semitic. But at times he's writing about the desire to see. Jewish people come to know Jesus and have Christians reach out to them with the gospel. So there, there's a rec- reclamation of the des- of the need for conversion and of a desire to see people converted and the gospel preached. And so I think that was a, you know, that's a beautiful part of the Reformation. You know, to point out that the Reformation was a missionary movement in terms of their publications, you know, yes. the, the way they preached yes. and in their work. Yes. Their works huge. themselves you know, the works themselves were missionary minded. Yes. They were going out to, you know, to Europe, which was an unreached people group yeah. because they they assumed the gospel and they perverted the gospel. Therefore, they need the real gospel. So it's kind of like a missionary field yes. in yeah. Europe. And you and I were talking to, to say that, you know, it wasn't like a massive missionary movement doesn't mean there wasn't a heart for the nations. I mean, even Calvin, you and I were talking about, there's a little known, um, little known missionary endeavor uh, that, that Calvin was a part of through Geneva. And that was to send missionaries to Brazil. You know, they had heard about French uh, colony and a desire there in in Brazil to get things started. And they sent missionaries to Brazil, not just to reach the French in Brazil, although they did want to do that, but they were trying to also reach the the uh, the native peoples of, of Brazil. And they, it wasn't successful. <laughs> they were right, killed. Right. Um, but they planted but, a seed, though. I really do believe yes. that they, they, they planted a seed. It took about 300 years to, you know, flourish. <laughs> but, yeah. Yes. 
So I, I said French. It was Portuguese, obviously. Port- uh, Portuguese settlement. Not and a they French brought settlement. soccer. Calvin was the one. He's like, here's your soccer ball. Go down there. <laughs> I'm just if you playing. said that, there'd be massive <laughs> conversions in Brazil if that could be proven true. Uh, you'd have a lot, <laughs> lot, a lot more uh, uh, reformed uh, Brazilians if that was the case. But so, like, you know, Calvin so you, brought soccer, man. <laughs> so you have that. There's also a huge emphasis on reaching their own people. And I think that's that's pretty typical in a beleaguered people group. You know, when you have, when you're part of a group of people that don't know the gospel, your your first heart is just for the people right around you. And that that was mm-hmm. what they were doing. So you know, so so reclamation of the gospel and of the of converge biblical conversion. It was a heart for evangelism that was there. Another huge part that the Reformation played was the translation of the scripture. And we we it's easy to overlook that. But if you study the history of Christianity uh, around the world, especially in the East, I, there's a there's a book that I really like, um, partly because just my background in 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 Asia. But uh, it's called Moff. It's it's by an author named Moffat, and it's the history of the church in Asia. And uh, and he makes it just he's talking about especially in the beginning about the growth of of, the spread of christianity into arabia and how there was a lot of christian tribes um in uh in, in Saudi Arabia when when Muhammad came on the scene. But he he, he just kind of asked the question, is the reason why the gospel didn't take hold and win the day and why someone like Muhammad was able to, to rise up is because there was no translation of the Bible into Arabic. Because wow. Muhammad used that. Muhammad said, hey, the Jews have their Bible, the Christians have their Bible, but what's where's our Bible? You know, where's the Bible for Arabic peoples? And uh, and so he said, here's the script, here's God's word to Arabic peoples, it's the Quran. So he acknowledge Muhammad's acknowledging Christianity and Judaism, but he's saying, hey, those are for different people. You know, so and, and then you can trace that along. I mean, the the the, the scriptures were translated into Syriac, which is a, a version of Aramaic, which is the language Jesus, one of the languages Jesus, Jesus spoke. But when the gospel went out, they kept they kept it in Syriac. And so in Iran, mm. they're using Syriac, you know, in in Babylon, they're using Syriac. Those people don't speak Syriac, you know, mm. uh, when wow. the gospel even goes to China, they don't translate the Bible into Chinese, they're continuing to use Syriac. And so the places where where the gospel seemed to not just spread but take root is where places where it translated the Bible into the language of the people and it became it became into their heart language. And that's still a kind of a common uh, foundation of missions today is that's one of the missionary tasks is go there and understand the language and culture, translate the Bible into their heart language. You know, um, and you know this, I, I don't know, if, does your, do your grandparents speak Spanish? Yeah, they speak Espanol. Spanish, so, yeah. right. So, so yeah, they, if they, even if they can communicate in English, it's fine. But like, man, you sing a song in Spanish <laughs> and all of a sudden their eyes fill up with tears and yeah. you can just tell they're singing from their heart. They're not just singing, you know, it, if they speak English, it's their second language. It's not the way that they like emote, right? Mm, and so mm-hmm. when the Bible is translated into your heart language, what a difference it makes. Well, the Reformation allowed that to, to really not just become uh, something that fringe people like Wycliffe and Tyndale were doing, but allowed it become something that was normal. And so now, I mean, we, we, we take it for granted that we've got the Bible in 100 different versions of English, but that wasn't normal until the Reformation. <laughs> You know, it blows my mind to 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 think about how much smartness you need in order to translate, you know, Greek and Hebrew Hebrew from back yeah. in the day. This right. is before Noah Webster. Yeah. This is before Google Translate. Yeah. This is before Logos. before Logos. <laughs> this yeah. is before you know libraries were common. I guess uh, this yeah. is way before. You know what I mean? And you know there was a bunch of books that were still kind of scrolls too. So it was I know, like right. It was like man, Calvin translated it, and then Wycliffe, and then all these guys translated the Bible. Luther, you know, yes. and it's like, dude, they did all these things without like all the luxuries things that we have. Yeah. You know, because if I want to translate something, I got to go online and look it up or, you know, just talk to my wife or call somebody. But like, hey, how do you translate this? But they didn't have none of those luxuries. Right. So, you know, I think then you see from there 
you know, with the Reformation. There's a the legacy of the Reformation is where I do think that the modern missionary movement is birthed out of, right? So you've got the Moravians that become like this incredible missionary force, um, sending missionaries all over the New World. Um, you've got the Puritans that have a heart to reach, you know, the the Native American peoples, and they're sending missionaries there. You've got William Carey that's kind of birthed out of that, that the, the modern missionary movement, and and he's he's drawing from these resources, right? He's mm-hmm. He's drawing from the fruit of the Reformation, both politically and uh, and theologically. Um, he's he's drawing from the scriptures, and he's helping to you know he, he's trying he's starting to to kind of pave a, a modern uh, missiological approach that that ends up becoming what we think of today as missionaries going to the ends of the earth. But you wouldn't get there. You don't get to William Carey or Hudson Taylor or Amy Carmichael without coming through the reclamation of the gospel, the desire to see scripture as the basis of of our faith and of, as our authority is the basis for those things without without, you know, the the fruit that was the seeds that were planted during the Reformation. Hey there, this is the Chicano Knox. I'm going to go ahead and just uh, stop this interview real quick and just send you a quick message of appreciation. Thank you so much for viewing it, subscribing. Thank you for all your support. But listen, resources are scarce and I need more. I need more support beyond a subscriber effort, right? I need you to chip in a couple bucks if you can, you know, to support this because there's a lot of effort, a lot of work that goes on. And I would love to reach more people, more, more pastors, more church communities you know with the gospel with the doctrine of the church taking it to the streets and i need you to buy me a coffee go ahead i'll drop the link below drop me a couple bucks buy me a coffee is one way to support this show so go ahead click the link below and buy me a coffee and support the show all right back to the interview yeah because when you look at you know church history you will find the church going out many places like you'll see okay like the the most famous one is like uh saint patrick going to ireland right and you're like wow i think that was a success like wow that yeah. was that was nice you know what i mean yeah. that's always yeah. a fun read uh you know uh i think saint columba to colombo or whatever his name yeah. is to go to scotland Right, like, dude, that dude—that's a nice success. I love that one. Yeah, you know, um, many others. And then, and then, like when you start reading, oh, you know, you know, all the Jesuits went to Mexico, and he's mm-hmm. like, you know, that's not really that exciting. I don't get that same vibe that I get when I read Patrick or Saint Columba. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Cortez and all them going to Mexico, baptizing all those Indians. You know what I mean? And Aztecs, and it's like, yeah. I don't know. I don't buy it. Like, I don't buy that genuine conversion you know what i mean i don't buy it right as no. much as i do with patrick right it's a yeah. little bit more evident there i don't know why and then it falls off you know right. what i mean and it yeah. doesn't really get exciting until yeah. until a little bit after the reformation right right so yeah no I, yeah i think that's a very interesting observation and certainly the jesuits were incredible in their reach you know from mm. J- china japan you know like japan. you had a guy like Matteo Ricci, you know, like yeah. in the court of of the Chinese emperor, you it's know, crazy. teaching them science. And but even yeah. then, you know, yeah. you have a really diluted gospel. And, yeah. you know, some of the stuff that modern missionaries have had to deal with comes out of Matteo Ricci and his followers going like, hey, it's OK to worship your ancestors and to be Christians. You know, like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. You know, a, a real yeah. syncretistic faith. And that's what happened in South America, too. Right. You have messed, where, messed does, San, where does Santeria come from? Right. Santeria comes wow. from a merging of of tribal uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not, not, not of, the, of just a tradition. I shouldn't say tribal, but traditional religious paganism with Catholic. Right thing that's what voodoo is right like right. it's the the mixing of catholicism Ouch. with christianity and so we got to be really careful that's where that i think is really where that sola scriptura becomes really powerful because mm. you know out of as that a principle a of, as a principle to as, like for hermeneutic and like a yes, standard right for bible you know, reading and yeah, yeah. Exa- exactly so yeah because um i think i remember reading uh, maybe a few months ago, several months ago now. I don't know if I remember everything, but it, uh, Xavier, Father Xavier, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. went Francis to Japan. Xavier. Yeah. He, he went to Japan, went yeah. to many places. But he went to Japan yeah. and then something happened and then they all got kicked out. And then ever since then, Japan has been a hard place to like to do mission work and church. <sighs> yeah. And then I, yeah. re- I read that and I'm like, Father Xavier kind of messed it up. <laughs> well, it, it's it's com- it's complicated. <laughs> if you talk to Alex, you'll know that's like one of my favorite my favorite phrases, but 
but you have a, a little you know this is a dark side of 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 history too i mean you've got you've got reformed dutch in east india trading company that's not mm -hmm. acting christianly mm -hmm. and actually there not that because Francis Xavier is Catholic and the Catholic influence on the island of Japan, you've got the Dutch trading companies that are basically going along with Japanese government saying we're going to ban all Christians from coming, to, all missionaries from coming to to uh, to Japan. So you have mm -hmm. you have a, you have bad things that are happening. And we have to be very careful, right, that, mm -hmm. that we don't that, that we don't just whitewash. And, the history. And, and that causes Japan to be like isolated until like oh, 1947 yeah. oh. or something. You could there's a movie out called Silence. Uh, highly recommend it. Was that and with the uh, Liam guy? The yes, yeah, and uh, Qui Gon Jinn. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, there's actually a lot of famous actors in that movie. I have actually. not seen it, by the way. Sorry, you, you, you probably should. I mean, it's Catholic. It's a very Catholic movie, but but it also you know shows the brutal persecution of Christians. Uh, yeah, they Japan did persecute them. They kicked but them was, all off the island. <laughs> but it was also allowed by uh, by Europeans. Um, yeah, there's a, a dark side of the of the missions move in China. You've got the the British. British government that really wants silver. Um, they really want tea, right? And the Chinese government that really wants silver. And so the only way to get the, you know, to get this trade going is basically Britain is forcing China to keep their their borders open for the opium trade. <laughs> so yeah. you have these the opium wars were about Christian England forcing China to buy drugs uh, so that they could um, so they could also have money to buy tea. And uh, and you have yeah. some t stories of missionaries coming in on the opium boats, you know, and like I'm not saying they're actively promoting opium abuse, but you have you, history does weird things. And so we have to, you know, obviously be, you know, we, we recognize people are fallen. Like even today, like we have good Christian guys that we find aren't as good Christian guys as we thought they were. So because we're depraved people, you know, that goes yeah. that's one of our one of our Spoiler reformed alert. people, you know, like, we believe in the depravity of man. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, even Christians, if they're not uh, sanctified and following Jesus, are prone to do bad things. Yeah. So how can we, you know, missionaries recover from the, I don't know, this dark side of the missions, you know? Yeah, I, I encourage the same thing I encourage my people with when you look at me. If you look at Jesse, if you look at, you know, any human being, you're going to be you're ultimately going to be disappointed. But when we when we come back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we look at who Christ was in his perfect mm -hmm. sinless life. Like, you know, we have to build our ministries. We have to build our churches. We have to build our faith, our individual faith on Jesus. He's the only one that doesn't let you down and disappoint you. And so I think when we come to these places, we come very humbly and go, yeah, people screw up. Like it, you look through the pages of history, there's incredible successes and failures through it all. King Jesus is spotless. So keep your eyes on him. That's what I would say. Yeah. Amen. How about you? Yeah. I would say, you know, there's a lot of um, healing that needs to take place. Yeah. And I think, you know, Christians just need, need to admit it and be like, yeah, we messed up. Like yeah. you said, um, yeah. admitting, admitting the fault and, and, and using that as an opportunity for, you know, to share the gospel and to say, Hey, um, this actually is the whole point of the gospel. Like right. we messed up. We did that. Um, sure. Like that's what we did, but right. that that's exactly what the gospel is for is that we are sinners and we messed up in the, in the very beginning with, with, you know, in the garden and, and, and even after the flood, there was still sin and, and, right. and it didn't get it didn't get taken care of until Jesus died on the cross. Right. And so that's the major like I would use that as a hinge yeah. or like an entryway for the gospel, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, we could go into it and say, how do you know that? Why? On what basis is that even wrong? Well, the reason we know that's wrong is because of the light of the gospel that shows us mm -hmm. that that behavior is inconsistent with the mm -hmm. righteous standard of God. Without that light, we don't even know there is a standard like, you know, right. many, many cultures of the world, it wouldn't be at all a problem to manipulate and use drugs to accomplish, you know, your own financial big deal. Like that's what you do as power creates a way. But yeah. we know from the light of the gospel that that's evil. So yeah. so even even in our own failings, we can point back to saying, like, you're right. We humbly admit it. Um, we humbly acknowledge the fact that yeah there's there's times when racism exists there's times when when abusive people has existed there's a time there's times when christians have been arrogant um but the reason we even can call people to repentance of those things is because of the light of the standard of jesus christ that points us to the the evilness that resides within us so and then and then, I, and, and then i would point to the necessary need for discipleship 
Oh yeah, which which goes to you That's know so back good. to the beginning of the of the yeah. Great Commission is yeah after after you 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 admit the guilt after you confess the sin and and and, and, and you know realize the need for like the Savior realize the need of well how bad we really are in terms of God's holiness right mm -hmm. then it goes to grace right and yeah. then it goes to gratitude yeah. right That's so and, good. And discipleship, discipleship. Mm -hmm. You just need to disciple those people like a lot. Um, <laughs> Very but good. Uh, let, let's go ahead and bring this to a close. Any closing thoughts um, that you want to review or highlight or bring us back to to thought? You know, I think as as Christians, when we think of missions and what we can learn, you know, again, just coming back to the, the missions is got to be centered on the gospel. There's a movement within some areas of the, of missions talk of like that, that kind of is, gets away from the gospel being the center of it. And I think we've got to make sure that we keep it where it needs to be as, as uh, calling people to follow Jesus Christ and, and establishing churches and uh, training disciples to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. I, I think also going back to the primacy of the word of God that, you know, we, we need some next level scholars to say, you know, I'm going to go someplace. I'm going to do the hard hard 20 year labor of translating the Bible into a, to the language of the people, you know, doing the hard work of scholarship and creating, creating resources. I'm working with an Afghan family right now that came to Christ because they fled the Taliban the first time, went to Pakistan where they heard the gospel and were in, were tr trusted Christ in Pakistan by a Pakistani pastor, right? So that wow. that's crazy on itself. Yeah. And then wow. they've been they've been being discipled by a Romanian missionary teaching them K Arthur's precepts wow. in in Dars in Dari their their language. And, and so there's a, there's a beauty of like how God is using people from all over the world to accomplish His mission, but there's also a need to make sure that we're we're doing the hard work of translation, the Bible and Bible studies, and and um, and taking up what I think Calvin and Luther and others like Knox started, and uh, and taking that to the last peoples on earth that still don't know the truth of the gospel or have that mm. or have access to those things in their language yeah man amen let's go ahead and keep going man let's let's uh let's don't let's not stop let let's keep our eyes laser focused on the Love gospel it. translation if you know people who are translating the bible uh and there are faithful christians they know the gospel and you trust that ministry Put your time and energy and your and your money behind that, and Amen. you know, and support them, and don't be ashamed of that. You know what I mean? Um, and and step up. And if your church is not supporting that, say, hey, here's a couple options. I thought I'd throw this out there. Uh, you know, during announcements, because I know every church makes announcements. So make an announcement. You know, if no one's speaking up, why don't you speak up? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, in love, in love. Anyways, uh, without without further ado, man, thank you so much for for making it to the end. This this conversation could could go on, man. There's so many, so much. I did it! I made it to the end. So deep, so rich, right? And you know, this is the tip of the iceberg, obviously. Sounds good. All right. Well, God bless that. you guys until the next episode. God bless.